Hi there, I'm Anne-Marie McQueen, editor of Live Healthy, and this is the Live Healthy podcast. Each week we interview health and wellness leaders and talk about all the things that are good for you, which you can also read about in our online magazine, the only one of its kind for men and women in the UAE. And now, here's this week's guest. Today on the Live Healthy podcast, we have Dr. Ghassan Latvi. He's a consultant gynecologist at Baki University Hospital in Dubai. And Dr. Ghassan is very passionate about women's health, especially in raising awareness about endometriosis. Endometriosis affects 10 to 15% of all women of reproductive age. And I'm hearing about this all the time on social media too. So welcome, Dr. Ghassan. It's nice to meet you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here with you on the broadcast. Yeah, I'm hearing about endometriosis all the time on my social media channels. It seems like everyone has it, although, you know, it's 10 to 15% of the population. It's a big, big, big number. First of all, can you just sort of describe to us what endometriosis really is? Exactly. Well, I'm, I'm first of all glad to hear that you are hearing about this because uh, endometriosis uh, is one of the dilemmas that uh, uh, not only um, uh, is torturing the minds of uh, patients who has it, but uh, as well the medical society that uh, knows that not so much about it. So when I came in 2010 uh, to Dubai from, from Sweden, uh, I was uh, uh, kind of uh, taken back that uh, nobody knew about endometriosis. We dealt with endometriosis in Scandinavia, like in Europe, at the level of um, uh, tertiary centers. So we pretty much were in the phase of doing more research about it. But when, when I came to Dubai, uh, the word, whether in English, endometriosis, or in Arabic, uh, intibad al-Batan al-Hajira, had no whatsoever resonance for, for neither patients or medical staff. And uh, I, I started at that time in 2010 activities amongst the physicians, both who are surgeons or uh, general practitioners, to spread awareness on the disease. And to put it in a nutshell, uh, endometriosis um, is a chronic inflammatory disease. Uh, it, it's true that we say it affects uh, almost 10% of women. Uh, in the reproductive age, which is a, which is a huge number to, to speak about reproductive age and active female population. But honestly speaking, um, there hasn't been enough epidemiological studies worldwide to verify uh, the number. So uh, part of the studies that we did here when I worked in Latifa Hospital was one epidemiological study. And uh, it, it the number that we got was 4.7 from the that we treated catch uh, group, uh, but to come back to the disease, it's um, uh, it's defined mainly by having a painful menstruation that gradually uh, uh, disables and debilitates the, the 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 woman who has the disease to the point that uh, this woman uh, or or young 
lady uh, will not be able to practice her normal activity and do her uh, regular uh, the job or, or uh, go to school. So, um, unfortunately, we do not have uh, a clear marker about lab tests or a certain blood test that you can do and you can say that this woman does have endometriosis. So, uh, what we say is that any woman who has menstrual pain, which is consistent, resistant, and doesn't respond to treatment, might be uh, a, a sub subject to this disease. And uh, like I said, it's a chronic inflammatory disease. So basically, from the onset of the menstrual period, when the uh, menstrual blood kind of regurgitates back, it goes back through the fallopian tubes into the belly, uh, which happens actually in around 94 to 96% of all female population. So this is a physiological phenomenon that part of the menstrual blood kinds of flow retrograde through the fallopian tubes to the belly. But just to Unfortunately, can I just stop you for one sure. second? Because you've just blown sure. my mind. All right. <laughs> I'll slow down. Because I'm 50 and I've been through this, but it's not, some of the menstrual blood comes back up, you're saying? Yes. Wow. So this, yes. Yeah, so basically, I mean, if, if I'm going to go a little bit poetic, uh, the definition of the menstrual period, according to one of the uh, French physicians, is the is the blood is like the, the the uterus is shedding tears on the unattained pregnancy, which is a lovely expression, but it says a lot that once there is no pregnancy, then the lining of the uterus inside the uterus sheds. So that's how the period comes. Now the period is not only blood, it's also glands. So these glands which grow on the lining. Uh, contain these are part of the, uh, the cells that usually once the woman becomes pregnant starts growing uh, to contain and uh, uh, kind of um, um, uh, pertain the pregnancy that gets implanted now these glands these glands are the structure which usually migrates which usually flows not only through the vagina outside, but also through the fallopian tubes backwards. So if, if we do, for example, a laparoscopy for a woman who's having her menstrual period, we'll eventually always find some blood uh, uh, abdominal cavity. That's natural. And this blood in 90% of women gets absorbed or resolved on its own. So nothing happens, no damage happens. Only in these, let's say, unfortunate 10% of women, and for reasons that we cannot still kind of pinpoint, the blood and the glands that go back to the belly causes damage. They burn. Wherever they come, they cause an inflammatory reaction on the tissue that they settle on. And depending on the severity and the grade of the disease, which is, in a nutshell, dominated by environment, environmental genetic um, causes, can become uh, a very severe disease because it kind of glues everything, including the bowel, the other organs, the fallopian tubes, the ovaries, the ureter, into a kind of a messy, uh, what we call frozen pelvis. And the pain that the woman has 
is because of this inflammatory burn-like uh, feeling inside her belly every time these glands settle and uh, cause this kind of uh, damage in the place where they come. Okay, and I'm going to reveal my bio biology ignorance here, but how do they sure. get from the fallopian tube to the abdomen? What's the, what's the gateway? The gateway is the tube itself. So the fallopian tube, like if you imagine it the other way around, so uh, a woman ovulates. So at, at a certain point of her period, the ovaries uh, contain these small, small uh, eggs or follicles that the woman is born with. And every single cycle, not, not uh, necessarily, but mostly one of these eggs matures enough and it kind of bursts out from the ovary like a yeah. popcorn. It just blows from the surface <laughs> of the ovary and it goes, it swims towards the fallopian tube. So, and it migrates through the fallopian tube into the uterine cavity. This is the way a fertilized or an egg fert gets fertilized and it goes through the fallopian. So the fallopian tube is the bridge between yep. the egg and the uterine cavity. No, I get that it's part, same, but I don't get how the how the, the it's the same course. It's the same course. Let's say if we're doing a procedure like hysteroscopy, which is inserting a camera inside the uterine cavity where we uh, use saline or water, sterile water. We sometimes can use this procedure to check if the tubes are empty. Why? Because we can see the bubbles going inside the tubes through the uh, through the uh, cornea or the bones of the tube. And actually, if you have heard, for example, about uh, this, this mess with, the, with one of the contraceptive devices that there has been a scandal about the screws that they used to put inside the tubes through the uterine cavity, and it has been causing a lot of problems, pain, and so on. It has been withdrawn from the uh, market. This is one. This is exactly the the path that they try to close from the uterine cavity from the side. So the blood regurgitates backwards due to the negative pressure between the uterine cavity and between the abdominal cavity, and it's natural. It just goes back. I can add to this that one one form of endometriosis is adenomyosis, which is that these glands and cells not only flow down through the vagina or go back into the belly, they even can find their way penetrating into the muscle of the uterine wall. And that causes the muscle and the uterus to become bulky and spongy. And many women who goes to gynecologists and they complain of pain, heavy bleeding, and they can't find any reason because the ovaries are fine. There is nothing in the abdomen. They can even do a procedure or surgery. They don't find anything. And it's in the muscle of the uterus, which is called adenomyosis. So this sponginess is also part of this disease or the process of the glands invading spaces which, where they shouldn't be. But I just want to add, this might happen, I mean, regularly, but it's only with women that are uh, destined to have this disease where the damage happens. Okay, so it's leaking. It's leaking, basically. It's, it's like it's, penetrating. It's, we, we like to call it migrating because in migrating. Arabic, that's exactly the way intibad al-batan al-hajra is the migration of the linear glands. That's, that's the exact translation. But they're not supposed to be. 
they're not supposed to be migrating. Uh, it, it, it's, they, they are supposed to be migrating, but they are not supposed to be hostile. Okay, I see, okay. Is there some indication at all that this is, um, this has worsened recently as have other chronic um, inflammatory diseases? Uh, no, I mean, uh, the, 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 the parody is that we say, Endometriosis has been known since the pharaohs. Why? Because we know from the scriptures uh, and from the, the that uh, the, the, they used to call it the fury uterus or the the the, the firing um, uh, abdomen. So this disease has been known throughout history, and it has been described in paintings and in 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 uh, uh, sculptures and so on. It was defined or, or let's say, uh, identified in 1925 by Collins. He's, a, he's an Irish uh, uh, scientist and then by Simpson. But uh, uh, what I wanted to say is that this disease is historical. And, and, and the, the, the difference is that we simply started to be a more smart society that we know. So uh, I'll jump a little bit forth to tell you that in the old days, they used to say to any, any female who had pain during the periods, she had to uh, lay down in her bed, not leave the house and so on. This is the way your mother had it. This is the way your grandma had it. This is the way that you will have it. This is normal. And if she goes to the, you know, to the, to the, to the country or the village doctor, he will tell her it's all in your head. It's nothing unusual. But now with the quality of life that we have, Women are not anymore, of course, um, this is not something normal. And that's why uh, the awareness about it has become extensive. So now, after 10 years, we have a society in, in the UAE, which is called the uh, Emirates Endometriosis Society, the ML. We are having in one week our sixth uh, conference on, the, on endometriosis and uterine, uh, benign uterine disorders. So the, the awareness is spreading. And uh, the woman doesn't anymore takes um, a no or negligence towards her symptoms because they are they are more uh, knowledgeable. Uh, and uh, by that, by by default, physicians are now more responsible to get uh, more answers. Uh, they they turned the shoulder before because they didn't know how to deal with the disease. They didn't know how to define it. Right. How did you come to be so embedded? How did you come to focus on this? Like I mentioned, when I worked in Sweden, I was involved in one of the preliminary uh, research on uh, nerve fiber cells. And honestly speaking, it wasn't me. It was my colleague who, who encouraged me to do that. I am by profession, and my subspecialty is keyhole surgery. So I, I'm an advanced surgeon in endoscopic surgery. I do laparoscopies and uh, hysteroscopies. So uh, basically, the golden standard for diagnosing endometriosis in the old days, and still until now, you will find that as, as the main, let's say, title, a doctor would say to you, we need to uh, diagnose you, is laparoscopy. So for a woman to get diagnosed, you need to go and do surgery. And uh, I, I, have, I have heard, I mean, when we have conferences and so on, about women who did something like 27, 28 surgeries for endometriosis. Uh, in my practice, and here in Dubai, uh, the only patient that I had, and she was European, uh, we did her 22nd surgery for endometriosis when she was 53 years old and everything was taken out. 
uterus, ovaries, and everything. And still she had endometriosis on the vessels and uh, the stomach. So that's horrible, the way things can be for women who go surgery after surgery because they either has recurrence of the disease and nobody knows how to take it properly or how to deal with it or how to. Now, it's, all, it's not all horrible, but um, it, it can become to, to a tragic way or path of life for a woman who has actually this disease. Right. It can end in, an, it can end in a total hysterectomy. And even uh, that. Yes. Uh, the unfortunate part is that some of the myth that uh, people have, including doctors, that if you remove the uterus, everything will go away, which is not true. I mean, uh, first of all, I've seen patients who even didn't have children or weren't married, and the uterus was removed, and the disease was still there. So the disease acts on its own. We call it the benign cancer because it, it acts like that. It metastasizes. The only organ where you cannot find endometriosis is the pancreas. Otherwise, you can find it in the eye, in the brain, in the diaphragm, in the, in the scar after a cesarean section. Uh, so it metastasizes like a cancer, but it's not cancer. Okay. And uh, the myth is that if you get pregnant and get children, everything will go away. It's a myth because the only thing that happens when you're pregnant is that you don't have periods. That's why you become better. But once you deliver and you have children, your periods will come back and it will be worse. But of course, there are grades like for cancer or any other disease. There are the mild the moderate and the very severe cases where, uh, like I mentioned, there is involvement of very vital organs and where the woman can go through a lot. Uh, the other myth is that uh, what, what they say that uh, this disease, I mean, uh, that if, if you just like manage it uh, with, with conservative measures, uh, it will go away. A chronic disease doesn't go away. It needs lifetime management. So that's where it comes the awareness, so the patient has to ask questions. He has to know with whom she's dealing, the doctor, the experience that she or he has. And of course, to tailor the management. So it's not a one for all. So you shouldn't remove things uh, with, the, with the prospect that if you remove everything, everything will be fine. Uh, this is not the, the kind of medical management that should be in the 21st century. So every treatment, every management has to be tailored to the needs of the Okay. Like a lot of people, um, not a lot of people, but increasingly in my lifetime, there's people who are using birth control to not have their period at all. Like they're using it continuously. Does that, does that do, is that a treatment? It's not a treatment, but like I mentioned, uh, the management of endometriosis is by minimizing the negative effect of the menstrual flow. On the okay. body. So in other words, as we say, for example, that the only prophylaxis for ovarian cancer is contraceptive pills. Why? Because we know that um, the, the ovary, if a woman, if a woman is destined to have ovarian cancer, which is very rare, 1.8% of all, uh, uh, the, the, the thing that triggers that is the continuous ovulation and the external hormones that can be given to, for example, stimulate ovulation, IVF treatments, and so on. So giving oral contraceptives submissions, or let's say it, it inhibits the ovulation. 
and by that it puts the ovary in a dormant situation. It's the same thing that happens with endometriosis. So during that time, when you're not having a period or you're having less periods, you're at less risk. However, I must say that there are studies uh, that show that there is a minor contingency of patients that have the tendency for severe forms of endometriosis, this will flow like water under ice. So you will have the disease, it will progress, but you will not have the pain symptoms that you might have had. So after taking the pills for like six years, seven years, eight years, you will come after finishing, stopping the, period, the pills, and suddenly they will find that you have a severe case of endometriosis. But this is a very small, I mean, portion of the Okay, and is there, for women who have this, are there any changes they can make um, to their lifestyle to help, to help improve their situation? That's, that's the $1 million question because we do know, we do believe that, uh, that, that environmental uh, factors do influence endometriosis, like pollution, like uh, stress, uh, like uh, having, for example, a certain diet, which includes red meat, uh, dark chocolate, uh, anything which, which uh, increases. It's, it's comparative with inf chronic inflammatory diseases like rheumatoid arthritis. Okay. So all uh, these sugar. oxidants, yeah. sugar, all oxidants, everything that raises the oxidation in the body will increase the severity of the disease. Uh, so excessive exercise is not good. I mean, regular exercise is very important, but excessive exercise will just suppress the immunity of the body to deal with the, uh, with, with the inflammation. So you have to consider it as a chronic inflammation and deal with it accordingly. Okay. Uh, antioxidants are, are considered to be uh, some of the things that will help in, in protecting. Okay, so like what? Well, selenium, zinc, uh, berries, uh, all kinds of diet that does include antioxidants by, by, uh, by nature are considered to be good. However, I must say, um, it, it's not like diabetes. It's not like if you go on diet, you will become better. So unfortunately, it has its own course, and that's probably from the genetic. So it, there are certain genetic modulations or we call it epigenetic uh, changes that predestines this woman to have the severe or the kind of more uh, severe type of endometriosis regardless. So that needs, that needs treatment. And does it impact a woman's fertility? It does indeed. So as, as I mentioned, once this inflammatory, this, this damage happens to the, to the tissue in the pelvis, it causes uh, naturally adhesions. And adhesions will, will uh, obstruct the fallopian tubes. Uh, it means that uh, first there is the mechanical uh, part of the, of the fertility, which will be blocked. Uh, second, uh, it impacts the ovaries. So the ovaries is a sensitive organ. So any lesions like chocolate cysts on the ovaries or adhesions between the ovaries and the pelvic wall and the uterus will impact the, the, the fertility. We say that endometriosis doesn't cause necessarily infer, infertility, but it does cause subfertility. Subfertility, okay. And you are in between a hysterectomy and, and 
lifestyle, you can do surgeries to sort of clean up. What do those involve? It involves removing the lesions. So we, we try to say that we try to keep, the, we, we try to restore the normal anatomy to the pelvis of the woman while just removing the, 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 the hostile or the, 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 the aggressive lesions that are caused by these glands. And these glands call, cause lesions that turn into nodules. So it's like you're having uh, ashes from a volcano that turn into uh, a fireball. And these kind of penetrate the, the tissues of the pelvis. So by removing them, by excising them, uh, you remove the, the source of the disease, not sorry, not the source of the disease, but the, the result of the, of the disease, which, is, which are these nodules or lesions. And you try to maintain under control the source of the disease, which is the uterus and the menstrual. Okay. And can, it, can, can endometriosis increase a woman's risk of certain kinds of cancer? Uh, this is studied. I mean, uh, there, are, there are studies, although, of course, they are not, I mean, randomized uh, and, and uh, uh, I would say enough advanced. But we consider that the risk of ovarian endometriosis to turn into ovarian cancer is around around one percent. So it's not it's not something to to you know strike alarm for and say that if you have endometriosis then you are at risk. But we consider that the ovarian type of endometriosis, what we call the chocolate cyst, if they are if they are left without treatment or if they are left without treatment at a certain age, which is the premenopausal, uh, uh, there, there can be, of course, a higher risk for transformation. And like, you know, in, the, in this region, there's, there's a stigma to this kind of uh, condition, is there? Yes, there are two kinds of stigmas, the, the, the positive and the negative one. Well, the stigma is a stigma anyway, it's always negative, but uh, if, if, <laughs> A woman is is fearful to speak about her, uh, let's say, disdain or her her mal uh, uh, of having menstrual pain because a woman is afraid of of being labeled that she will not be able to get pregnant, that she will not be able to bring you know uh, uh, children to the family and so on. So they might fight these issues, especially if from a certain tradition, from a certain um, background. The other labeling is now with the awareness that is spreading, uh, we shouldn't label young females who have consistently uh, menstrual pain that they do have endometriosis. Because I'm starting to see, for example, patients that they go to see doctors, they tell them that they have menstrual pain and they are not responding, and they tell them you have endometriosis. So uh, it's, it's like the other flip point of, of not recognizing the disease, then you jump towards. Uh, labeling a patient without being uh, sure that this patient does have disease. Okay. Okay. Because there's lots of menstrual pain that is not endometriosis. Which is right. right. Yes. I think as a message to all the female population, any woman that thinks, or we used to have surveys about um, pain is not an option. And women should, should know more about uh, this disease if they suspect that this is a chronic condition that they're having is not going anywhere uh, and anywhere that they should read about it. And if you if you surf through the international websites for endometriosis, like Australia, New Zealand, the US, in Europe, French, 
uh, you will find um, a list of questions that a woman should have with her when she goes to see her or uh, her gynecologist. So a woman should be prepared to, to know certain answers to certain questions. That will help a lot because we consider that half the management is the awareness in the patient so that you will not be taken by a storm that you need to remove this and you need to go for surgery and you, or that this is nothing and you don't you, you shouldn't think about it and so on. So it's it's an extremely important uh, matter until we can find more answers about the the cause and uh, it, try to find a cure for it. Yeah, it sounds like you're saying that there's a variety of approaches, but they're not always informed, even among the doctors that you might see. So you have to be your own your own advocate, really. You have to be your own. Correct. Yeah. Correct. There is no consensus. Uh, in the international medical community about a specific way of treating this disease. We have an assortment, a, a high variety of hormonal, uh, non-hormonal, surgical, um, paramedical uh, uh, ways of treating or managing the disease, but it remains for the woman to decide what is suitable for her. I mean, if a woman doesn't want to take uh, contraceptive pills, you cannot just force her to, to do that. And if a woman doesn't go, doesn't want to go for surgery, then you need to provide other options that can be an alternative for, for managing the, the patient. Okay, well, that's amazing work that you're doing. Thank you so much, Dr. Kisses, like explaining uh, it all. Thank you for the opportunity to speak about it. Have a good day. Bye -bye. That's it for this week. If you liked the podcast, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'll see you next time on the livehealthy.ae podcast.